welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. This is Ethan speaking. I'm back, finally. It's been a minute, guys, for all of us, but me especially. And today I'm joined by Elkin Beltry. Elkin, how are you doing on this fine Sunday? I'm doing good. I'm feeling I'm feeling a little sick, I was telling you that. But I'm feeling good. Um, it was nice before we started recording to just talk basketball. Before I'm pretty sure for listeners, Ethan and I talked like an hour of basketball before we even hit the record button. Oh, get we just easy. went on and on and on, easy. And that, and that that's just what happens. I mean, there's so much catching up. We've been enjoying basketball recently, and that's why him and I are excited to kind of just knock, just kind of move the dust off and get ready to record another pod because it's been a while. Yeah, and honestly, right now I have my I have all my my tabs pulled up, ready to you know hopefully look things up quickly if we have questions. And I'm looking at the basketball reference page where they have, you know, 12 players just hanging out where you can click on them. Like, oh, who's that? Uh, the guy looks familiar. Oh, I remember him. Well, right now, Jameer Nelson and Hedo Togerlu are both on my little player list. And that, huh. that takes me back to a good time where, like, I was not a Magic fan, but I was a huge, I was a really big Dwight Howard fan. Definitely loved watching him play. And the uh, Hedo Togerlu, Rashad Lewis, uh, Jameer Nelson – Courtney Lee, who could forget Courtney Lee, like that. That was a fun team, good starting lineup, and I, I don't know, just it, it's bringing back good memories. Yeah, and I was just though they brought him up. I actually was while we were talking, I pulled up their pages, and I was like, man, these two guys. Because I also remember too, random fact that no one cares about NBA 2K10. I decided to do a season with the Magic because I thought it was so much fun playing with the Magic. Yeah, because you. You could play like they do in the NBA now with the Magic mm-hmm. and t- on that game because they were they were set up for success. They had the, the dribble drive point guard with three shooters and a, a rolling big man. Pretty good, pretty good setup there. I wonder, I wonder if people are going to continue playing that way going forward. We'll, we'll see. But we're not here to talk about NBA 2K or former Magic players, Ethan. What are we here to talk about? Well, we're going to do the Western Conference tiers three weeks after we did the Eastern Conference tiers. So we can only imagine we're going to have even a better idea of how these teams shape up in the West, whereas we, we did the East too early, Elkin, hypothetically. Uh. Now, to start this off, we're going to go with the contenders, and I think the city of Los Angeles just needs a pat on the back. They're, they're doing so well out there. The Lakers and Clippers, even though the Clippers, by big differential in terms of record compared to the Lakers, they are the two, they are the class of the West, um, I think. Honestly, maybe we should have put contenders A and contenders B, but because the Lakers are crushing almost all the opponents they play, they've had a little skid there um, with some health problems. You know, playing some pretty stiff opponents when on that Eastern trip, and then obviously Christmas Day against the Clippers. But the Lakers, I mean, I I, I have no doubt that they're the best team in the West right now. The Clippers have beat them twice, but I feel really good about how the Lakers look. Yeah, I think. I'm feeling in a similar way, just even though they lost first game of the season and Christmas Day to the Clippers, you kind of watch them. And I think one of the things that's just been surprising people is how defensively, how well this team has been able to function. I think I think that was a worry. I think last year it was defensively who's going to pick up the slack. This year we saw kind of the pickups and you're like, wait a minute, Jared Dudley, Troy Daniels, Quinn Cook, uh, they they brought in Danny Green, and you're like, okay, Dwight Howard, wait a minute, we thought he was washed. But then you kind of see, okay, they're making this lineup work. I think you, 
and I will have to look at the plus minus and defensive rating of one of these players on the floor. I don't have those stats pulled up. Seeing how well, like just having Danny Green out there, Danny Green making an impact. Dwight Howard, even though he plays like 20 something minutes a game, so and of course Anthony Davis. I think defensively what he's brought has just up. But that that's been for me just kind of the big thing, Ethan, just defensively how this team has been. Yeah, so I was a big fan of the Dwight Howard signing, and I I put out the you know thing as like if the team like can tolerate him because apparently that's always been his problem that he is just a personality that does not vibe well with the standard uh, cookie cutter NBA um, locker room. Um, Dwight Howard much maligned in Atlanta, Charlotte, and then also Washington with his injury. Um, people were saying he's terrible. He's done. Don't. Give him give him the time of day, but I I I do think while he probably was not doing much for the locker room, like he was playing on at those times teams that were on the descent, they were not good defensively, so he was asked to cover a lot of mistakes, and so when it when he was chasing a block there, it was because there was a wide margin between the guard and the 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 prober, and Dwight was trying to cover for a lot. I'm not saying Dwight Howard was a great or good even good player playing for those teams. I'm just saying that. The gap between the talent he's playing with now and Charlotte, Washington, and that that last um, I'm I'm not sure if Budenholzer was still there his last year, but the last legs of that Atlanta team, it was a lot to ask from Dwight, and he was not able to step to the table. Then I feel really good about him now. Like we were talking about, you're talking about defensive and offensive rating. He's at a 123 offensive rating, a 102 defensive rating, which is the only player that plays significant minutes with a lower one is JaVale McGee, who basically just comes out and swats everything he can for 10 <laughs> minutes the first couple quarter, the first quarter and the third quarter. You're right, Richard uh, Elkin. This is, a, this is a really good defensive team. Yeah, and that's just, that's just something to look at their defensive rankings. Like, I mean, if you go down and look at their team rankings for, like, opponent, you look at – the opponent field goal percentage, three-point percentage, you go down all percentages and how they've been able to do against their opponents. Like they seem to be in the top 10 and how will they defend these shots inside and outside. And that's something that, that I've been impressed by them and watching their games. I mean, there's been games where I've seen them down and they just clamped down defensively. I will say this though, Ethan, I'm still a little bit worried uh, how they're going to assimilate Kyle Kuzma. I know he's been out of the lineup, but that still kind of concerns me in the back of my head. The biggest concern for me with Kyle Kuzma is that he makes too little money to get any trade return for. Because I think I've been on the record, mm-hmm. and I will stay on the record, saying I'm not a Kyle Kuzma guy. I think he's a totally fine player. But he's, to me, a lot of empty calorie stats, a lot of just, I put I put the ball in the hoop, but not hyper-efficiently. He's got, he's got a lot better shooting threes this year. Like I, I feel more confident every time he rises up. He's shooting 36% on 4.8 attempts, but I I'm not gonna sit here and tell you that that's all that's gonna stick around because like it just it hasn't thus far in his young career. Yeah, and, and kind of just like you're right, looking at his contract. I mean, because it was a late first round pick, there's not you can't really to, to match that salary and get something back that's quality. You're not gonna be able to fit anything. Go ahead. Yeah, it'd be tough. Like basically, you you had to be sending out guys like a Contavious Carl Pope, who I think has played really well this year after such a slow start. Like he's, yeah. he's shooting 41% from three, which uh, leads the team, believe it or not. Um, so like, I just, one of those things, or Jared Dudley leads the team, but I guess he doesn't, he doesn't play. He plays eight minutes a game. I guess that's, that he, he technically leads the team. But that's a, that's a tough look when you don't play very much, but 
like there's just not a lot of trade flexibility with this team, and that's what's disappointing. Given that they are probably one like real, you know, Kawhi and Paul George defender type, from being like right in the mix to uh, be truly terrifying. And that that's what I was gonna say. I mean, they're for me they're just one piece away, and it's another role player and not someone who needs the ball in their hand a lot, but someone kind of because when you watch those games. I think one of the advantages I'm talking about Clippers game, one of the advantages Clippers have is they're able to throw like a Patrick Beverly on LeBron, able to throw that other defender on LeBron. Whereas, whereas the Lakers, I mean, I'm pretty sure LeBron was guarding Paul George for most of the game. He had, and Paul George didn't have a good night, but LeBron was guarding him. And then what happens then? Well, no one's really there to guard Kawhi and Kawhi can just kind of do his thing. But whereas, and he kind of felt like as though Kawhi had fresher legs going down the stretch and you could look at how they kind of crippled up in the fourth quarter and stopped playing well and you you don't know what the co- what the causes of that other than you can you can speculate that he got he's getting tired like you you guard you guard one of the you know top 10 scorers in the league whether it's Kawhi or Paul George for the entire game you're gonna wear you're gonna wear down yeah and I mean LeBron is playing he's averaging 35 minutes a game which if I were the Lakers and I'm pretty sure some games he's already gone over 40 if I were the Lakers, I was like, hey, great start. We know what we have when everything's firing, when every, everything, everyone's firing on all cylinders. Now let's go ahead and slow it down. Because for me, they can beat. It seems like as though they don't have really any trouble beating any team in the West. I don't think I've seen them. Have they gone against Houston this season? I would I would imagine so. But I, I don't have a, a memory of that game if they have played them. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to think. I was like, I don't remember them playing Houston yet. But from what I've seen, they've they've been able to compete with all these other Western Conference teams. So I'm just like, all right, if I were the Lakers, you kind of know what you have, like probably bring LeBron down closer to 30 minutes a game. Try to get, try to get him that rest because we know playoff LeBron when he's, when he has that rest, we know what he can do. And that's what they need. These, I mean, these losses, yes, they matter overall, but we know that if they meet the Clippers in whatever round the playoffs, they need a completely healthy LeBron for that. He's he's the end all be all for his team, and they have not played Houston yet, just for the record. Yeah, yeah and that was the only team I can think of, like out of the top. I mean, I know they lost Clippers twice, he lost to Dallas once, lost to the Nuggets the, once, and then the other yeah. losses have come against the East, I believe. But they they they're they're in a really good position. I think they sh- they should really focus up on blowing some teams out, so then you can just let Rondo and Kuz like carry them to the finish line. Um, yep. late, late in the fourth, like when the, you're hopefully up 20, like I, that, that's an in, incredibly valuable thing. I think that's why Giannis never really will need to sit games because they, the Bucks do such a good job of really finishing teams off in the third quarter. And that's why he's averaging, I feel like 32 point or 32 minutes a game where, mm-hmm. you know, LeBron is half having to carry the Lakers. Yeah. But that's all I got to say about the Lakers. I think it's time for us to go to their... I can't even call it Crosstown. I mean, no. you could say Crosstown rivalry. Cross, cross the arena rivalry. I mean, I can't even call it a rivalry at this point. I mean, I feel like it kind of – could you call it a rivalry? I know they've been – Well, I mean, I think about this, Elkin, right? Like, think about all the times that we've we've played pickup at, at camp, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, it didn't matter if it was Joe Crumley or Quincy. Like, as soon as someone else got up there that was, uh, like, bet either like significantly better than me or just marginally better than me, I was going to point them out and be rivals with them in my own head, right? <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if, if Quincy's 6'5", I'm going to try to bully him on the, on the, on, in the paint. And, yeah, 
I know neither of those guys are going to listen to this pod, so I, I can I can talk some smack. But uh, no, you... you know, part part of what a rivalry entails is someone caring enough to call it one of themselves, right? And it doesn't always matter if it's reciprocated because that's where the intensity comes from. Is one side just going crazy? You know, Patrick Beverly is a rival with every person he plays, and oh, yeah. when when someone like you know takes you know offense to Patrick Beverly, the rivalry is 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 made. And I think the Lakers take offense to the Clippers being so uppity. And so yeah, it's a rivalry. It's just not a it's not not a highly contested one just that yet. For me, I think I think the Clippers can kind of puff their chest because we're coming into an end of a decade. I'm pretty sure the Clippers own this last decade compared to the Lakers. Yes, the Lakers technically started the decade with a championship, but if you look up their records against each other and overall, the Clippers just absolutely destroyed the Lakers and that's what and that's and now you're kind of seeing it all right we're gonna try to like swing it back but with the Clippers though as you kind of alluded to it right now in the standings they're only fifth in the west but I'm not really that worried because what separates them and the second seed Denver was like a two game two game lead and it's and they've been out they didn't have Paul George in the beginning Kawhi sits a lot yeah, and probably Paul George is going to sit a little bit. But for me, I don't know how you feel about this, Ethan, but looking at their roster, I still like their roster more than I like the Lakers roster as far as the role players. How do you feel about that? Well, you got to you got to love players like Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, Patrick Beverly. Like you got guys who are specialists yet not trash at the other end. Now Montrezl Harrell is not a good defender. But he, he does try hard. Like, I, I think I've been a little too harsh mm-hmm. with him when it comes to, like, uh, critiquing his game. But he's not a good defender. Um, but hopefully, that's what your Michael Green's for when you need a good defender. Um, Zubak, good for, you know, getting in the way of some really big centers. Like, he's not a good, good a great player, but he's, he's fine. But... You know, I do think their bench is a little oversold when they're not fully healthy. Because when Landry Shamit's missed quite a few games, and with that in mind, he's got to be out there making shots if this team's going to succeed fully. But Maurice Harkless, he's he's the other piece I really like. He he creates a very switchable lineup between Leonard, George, Harkless, and honestly, Harold. I feel like he's a better defender of guards, so he's a pretty switchable guy too. I like that you uh, bring up Mo Harkless. I've actually, that's one guy i kind of just been observing in these games. Obviously, his stats aren't going to jump out. When you look at, like, his what he's averaging, you're not going to say, wow, Moore Harkless really blowing me out of the water with what he's doing. But for me, he's a guy that he's not completely horrible when he's on the floor three-point shooting. But I think defensively, he, brings, he gives you something else. Because if you have him and Paul George – kind of on the wing, it's going to make it easier. And I believe Mo Harkless also has experience at the four as well. I remember from his Portland days, he played some at the four. I know sometimes Portland put Alfred Camino at the four, but sometimes they had, I remember a lot of times they would start like Mo Harkless at the four and Alfred Camino at the three. And I like that Mo Harkless able to do that. And I remember people were talking about one of the tidbits I heard from uh, one of the podcasts I was listening to this week was people were saying, oh, maybe the Clippers should sign Andre Godala, but you have a guy like Mo Harkless already who can switch easily. I think you got a you got already a piece there that you don't want to bring in someone else to mess it up. And one thing I noticed with their team chemistry keeps getting better. Now you guys you also have the guys like Landry, who of course one of their 
one of the guys you expect to be a good three-point shooter and who is one of the good three. I mean, he, I believe he is their highest rated three-point shooter of guys who take a decent amount of three-point shooters, 40%. And that's what you want. You kind of have this. And I think looking at role players, I think one of the things I brought up before is I'm kind of liking these role players more. In the beginning of the year, that's one of the things I said too. I like the role players better than the Lakers. But I realize now that the Lakers role players for me, kind of going back a little bit to Lakers, aren't as bad as I thought they were. But I think the Clippers role players, to me, feel like these are guys that at times I would rather have on my team to run in a playoff series. Yeah, so it comes yeah. down to, like, how do you – do you view Patrick Beverly as a role player or is he elevated because he's a starter, right? Lou Williams, obviously a sixth man, doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. start the games. But he is not just a role player. He's, he's, a, he's a key cog. So, like, it depends on how you differentiate yep. what these, you know, terms are. And But mm-hmm. I, I love your points about Mo Harkless. See, I mentioned him in passing. But Mo Harkless, he – I think the biggest difference that's going to come with him playing for a Los Angeles Clippers team versus Portland is now when when you put him in the corner and you're trying to space it for your your two stars George George Kawhi and then also Lou Williams creating like who's the best option to guard him now when you're when you're looking at the other team whereas he would be guarded by a wing probably a really good wing defender. That was going to be like, all right, I'm playing free safety. I'm going to come help when Dame gets comes off a screen. I'm going to help when CJ gets into the key. So, like, his lack of shooting ability was way more problematic because those good, def- like, you know, bigger ranger defenders were coming in to help. Where now those ranger defenders have got to be on got to be on the, the elite scores the Clippers have. So with that in mind, it's a, maybe a little mm-hmm. guard helping off. So he's pesky, but, like, you're not – like. You're not just gonna waste a good defender on Mo Harkless when you truly need a great a wing stopper for Paul George and Kawhi. Like, you see, does that make sense? Like, how that's a different type of help coming? Yeah, it's it's a different dynamic because last year you think about kind of their playoff series, and I know they gave the the Warriors some difficulties in that first round six game series, but you kind of look at it now and it's like. Whereas before you like, okay, the Montrezl Hurl, Lou Williams pick and roll was like the Clippers, like almost like hard thing to guard. But now you do that pick and roll and then you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at any time who can just wait for a three point shot. Now they can break their man off the dribble. And like you said, like you got to pick your poison. And I don't think there's any team in the NBA right now who has, because you pretty much need three solid perimeter defenders. And there's not a team right now I can think of that has like three solid perimeter defenders to match up. Right, because the Clippers are the only team that has that by my eyes. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at with that. Just kind of just just seeing that. But at the end, if we're we're going to talk about one more contender here, but I feel as though the Clippers are going to move up in the standings eventually. And I think as, as they got in Paul George back and they've assimilated him, I think he's been – pretty solid coming back and i think they're only going to keep moving up and up those ranks so do you see lakers and clippers being one two when the dust settles at the end of the season i still have a lot of confidence in denver as a regular season team and maybe that kind of foreshadows where, that they're not the third contender we have listed here yeah um but they're a really good team, and I honestly think that their their floor is just is so high because of how mm-hmm. many how many pieces they have. Like they could suffer like a pretty significant injury to anyone but Jokic, and I think they could keep the machine rolling. Yeah. 
But let's get to this last contender team, and this might be a little contested um, in terms of how other people would react. But Elkin, I got to put Houston in here because I do believe in James Harden. I know he's had playoff struggles for, for years now. Like, there's not a track record for him proving it. Mm-hmm. And so maybe he should be in the prove it section. But when, as long as Russell Westbrook is not taking a nuke to the team's efficiency, this team's very tough to beat. Yeah, and I've had a chance to be able to watch some of their games. I know everyone's going to talk about the Warriors game, but they still have James Harden. And like you said, when Russell Westbrook is almost his restrained self, James Harden can still break down any defender that he needs to and still get to where he needs to go. And he still has three-point shooters around him. I mean, I know Russell Westbrook's not the best, but P.J. Tucker is still dominating the corners. And Ben McLemore has been, honestly, he's been a good a good surprise for me. I thought he was kind of just like, well, he went from Sacramento to like Memphis and back to Sacramento. And then now he's on the Rockets, but I don't know how you feel about Ben McElmore, but I feel like he's, he's been a positive for the Clippers and during Eric Gordon's absence. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's been much needed. How much of a positive is hard to say, but like Mm -hmm. I, 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 the math for him shooting as many threes as he does, it works out because he's making 35% of them, which is basically like, that's like the mark, right? You got to make 35% of your threes if you're going to take them. And he hit, he hits that. I mean, Eric Gordon, for example, was shooting 28% this year and he's been known to have a slow start and also was hampered uh, by some, some injuries. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the only problem that comes with this, with this Rockets team is that if Westbrook is taking a lot of shots Man, like he he can really nuke nuke the team, and we're we're talking about um, James Harden being such a usage god. I'm looking at their per hundred possession stats, and granted, there's some time where Westbrook's out there without Harden, mm-hmm. but Harden's averaging 30 attempts per hundred minute for hundred possessions, and Westbrook's averaging 27.7 per hundred possessions. And I personally think that that is should not be how this is going. Yeah. Like Westbrook does not need to be taking that many shots. He doesn't need to be taking any threes, honestly. Like I know they're not guarding him out there, but like if if he gets the ball and he's that open, go ahead and take that hard step to the rim, make the defense react, and use that passing vision that apparently he has to uh to get a better shot. Because you shooting twenty three percent from three is nuking this team. Yeah, and we've seen it back to back seasons for Russell Westbrook where he's just like his three-point shooting, you're almost just like, all right, Russell, you got to realize something's going on. Even like his free throw shooting has been affected. But looking at his career stats with three-point, I mean, he's been almost every year at only four seasons or five seasons, he's averaged 30% or more. Everything else has been in the 20s. So you're just like, all right, what's going on with Russell Westbrook? But you're right, though. Almost, we know the game plan is to leave him open. But... He has to be, I mean, there has to be a point where the Rockets kind of, they have to create a different game plan because every team in the playoffs, I think of when it comes to playoffs, isn't every team just going to say, all right, we're going to pretty much just guard Harden hard and make Westbrook beat us, which is what you want. If Harden is beating you, you're probably going to lose. But if Westbrook, the one who's depending on to beat you, you have a good chance of beating the Rockets. Yeah, it's it, it's it might literally be a, I mean, let's look at what his field goal percentage is. It's a 42% proposition 
if you just let him if let Westbrook try to cook. That's his field goal percentage. But if he's going to try and cook from three, now it's a 23% chance that the Rockets beat you. Like I mean, it's, I don't want to like isolate this like such archaic numbers, but like, it's literally that. If he's missing the shots at these rates, you, the, the Rockets aren't going to be able to beat teams if they're able to force the ball out of Harden's hand. thing is, they're forcing it out of Harden's hand, and he's still just cooking people. Like, he gets it back, and he just he starts he works quicker that time. Like, I mean, I I still wish like the Rockets would figure out a way, and I I guess it's just not how James Harden wants to play that they could get him like a little bit like a like get him the same shots, but like you know let someone else bring it up, mm-hmm. run a pin down to free him up there, like just get creative with how you screen for him off ball, and get him the ball and advantageous get him the ball where he wants it, but let him go really quick because some of this like you know dribbled up dribble off the shot clock for 10 seconds when they're not doubling you. I really think, I mean, if that's how he gets his rhythm, I guess that's how you have to do it. But I, I, I would like to think you could, you could ease him a little bit and not make him work so hard for all these points. Yeah. And, and that's, and you kind of saw some of the games in which teams are successful against the Rockets is they know James Harden likes to slow it. It's weird. The Rockets do score a lot of points. They like to get up quick shots, but James Harden wants to get the ball and almost have it from the inbound all the way through the entire possession until it's time for either him to drive it or shoot it or pass it to someone else. But if they can use to be more creative, and I know Dan Tony can be creative with that. And I think they're going to have to be because more smart defensive teams, they realize that they can throw some type of trap. And if they have active defenders and smart defenders, team defenders, they're going to be able to completely take away what the Rockets want to do. And, I, and that's kind of just a worry that I have right now because I see this team this can be a team that gets into the playoffs where like, oh, possible contender, but doesn't do much. I don't know. I don't know how about you, but that's how I view it as right now, Ethan. It, it just could be a matchup thing. If, you know, if the, like hypothetically the Clippers don't, don't ever like kick it full into gear for the regular season. And like, if it's a Clippers Rockets first round mm-hmm. matchup, like four or five, that could be incredibly problematic. And honestly, even a Nuggets uh, matchup, just because the Nuggets have a, like several rangy defenders to throw it hard and to slow, like slow them down as much as possible. Like there's, there's just bad matchups out there for the Rockets. And I wonder if, if when it's a bad matchup, how Westbrook responds, does he go hero or does he, you know, figure out how to play basketball in, in his new new role. All right, fair enough. I think we're ready to move on to our next tier of Western Conference. Yep. I got I got I have two teams in here in the prove it section and I I'm gonna list them out right now. Um, the Denver Nuggets and the Dallas Mavericks. Starting off with Denver. Um, Jokic has just not been his usual self. He's had good games undoubtedly, but his Yo Nico Jokic has not looked like the guy who should have been should be in the MVP conversation as mm-hmm. we speak so far this year. He's this team is they play slow, which if you ask the casual NBA fan, do the Nuggets play slow? They'd say no. Um, they're really good at defense. If you ask a casual NBA fan, are the Nuggets good defensive team? They would say no. And while obviously we try to look a little deeper than casual, I think that says something too. Like they are they're kind of disappointing in in some ways, and obviously overachieving in others. So what are your thoughts about that, Elgin? How has this team just steadily been a good defensive team the last two years when everyone would think that Nikola Jokic, his biggest struggles are coming at the defensive end? Yeah, and I mean, they one of the things they do is defend a three-point line really well. They don't allow as many free throws. They're good at just overall defending shooting of the other team. 
And you're right. Like people say, Jokic isn't that good. I think when I look at them, I think they have a pretty, they have, like you said, lawn defenders. They have really good team defenders. I mean, you have, for me, I think of Paul Millsap, not the most athletic guy, but he's a good, one of those guys you want as a team defender. You have, but then you have a guy like Jeremy Grant, who is a lawn defender that you want to have on your team that you can almost throw around and let him get after people. But then I think right now, one of the things I keep worrying about, Ethan, is their offense. Like, I don't know how you see it, but their offense kind of struggled out of the gate. And their offense, to me, has been something that's been more worrisome than in previous years. I don't know how you feel about that. Oh, oh, it's suspect. They are, yeah. They're not good. And, like, it's it's odd to think that they're – because there's so many good individual scorers on this mm-hmm. team, so many good, like, you know, catch-and-shoot guys. But right now, like, they're shooting middle of the pack in terms of three-point percentage at 14, shooting twenty or 21st in two-point field goal percentage and 20th in free throws. So, like, they're just not executing on what I would think they should – they have – when I watch them, they look like they get a lot of open looks um, based on Jokic's ability to really just, you know – see the floor but I feel like they're just not hitting them right now and maybe that's all it's going to do is they're, they're just going to start making their shots they're going to come back to league average at worst in all these categories and they'll, they'll really take off but Jokic for what's worth I, I do think just needs to be more aggressive with his shot I, I I watch him just struggle to seem to get motivated to play sometimes like I it's just I, I can't figure him out, and also he's shooting thirty one percent from three, which is the same thing as he shot last year. And I'm wondering if we overhyped him because he shot thirty thirty nine percent from three two years ago. Like, I just yeah. wonder if that's more what we should expect from him, or if you know he's for whatever reason just having a, a, a slump. It's yeah, just really hard to figure out with this guy because he you can't get a you can't get a read off him because he looks like he's miserable out there most of the time. But I mean, I mean but you remember you, you remember those quotes in the beginning of the year. Where he was like, I, I think, I don't know if it was, I think it was Jokic said, like, I just suck. Malone, he had some quotes as well. And I was just like, this team, like, something seemed off. I don't know if you, if you read those quotes, it seemed like there was a disconnect between Malone and Jokic. Like, right now, they're, it seems like they're fine. But it seems like Jokic just wasn't feeling, wasn't enjoying what was going on. I, I, I don't have a recall of that. But I, I say body language doctor, he looks miserable half the time he plays. Mm-hmm. And for a guy who like, you know, passes so much and like really like sets his teammates up, you'd think like that would like really just make him happy. And it, it just doesn't seem to. And I, that's why I'm there in the prove it category for me, even though I love the nuggets. I, I, I love how they look on paper. It's just, it hasn't come to fruition. Him being the key cog of an offense, like, they, they were so good two years ago offensively, and last year they were still really good. And this year they've just been, you know, kind of bleh. And I don't know why, other than they're not making shots. Well, I think, I think we're ready to move on to a team that didn't disappoint us like the Nuggets, but had exceeded expectations. I've, I, think, I think we were kind of just like, eh, we'll see how they go. But the Dallas Mavericks, they're on your prove it. I think you and I were kind of – we're kind of saying like, all right, you got to have had a solid start. Right now they're fourth in the West. But last year, I mean, I forgot how they did last year, but I'm pretty sure it was it was pretty bad last year as well. Yeah, last last year they were 33 and 49. Yeah. They were a, they were bottom half mm-hmm. on both offense and defense. Um, just not a not a great not a great team. Which they just had some you know splash plays more or yeah, less. Yeah, but this year top offensive team. 
I mean, offensively, one of the better offensive teams. And defensively, they're nothing, I mean, middle of the pack. But at the same time, they're doing enough defensively to get them the wins that they need. And that's one thing I've been impressed by them. Like, their offense. And, of course, we know who drives all this. I think anyone who's watched any Maverick game, you don't have to watch Maverick game. No, Luka Doncic is who he's been who he's been advertised to be. And right now, his I know he was injured, but his average of 29, 9, and 9 are just ridiculous. And then his field, his I would like a little bit better three-point percentage, but I'm not going to complain too much. I mean. Ultimately, he doesn't get a lot of easy three-pointers. Yeah. That's his choice. He he chooses to take step-back threes. He loves step-back threes. But I do threes. think if, if, if they ran a little bit more conventional, like, he, you know, if he, if he wasn't, didn't have the ball in his hands all the time. Obviously, some of his other stats would go down, but I think his efficiency stats would go up. But he's still a very efficient player based on how often he gets to the free throw line. Yeah, and that's a and kind of just looking at it. But then even just watching how the team plays, you can see the team play the way that their style is, having a facilitator at that size, having someone who can set everyone up and at the same time be able to get his own shots. I think that says something. And, and they got guys, I mean, some of their sh- – they got some decent shooters like Tim Hardaway Jr., having him, having Keebler, having Seth Curry, having even uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, having those guys. Porzingis supposed to be a shooter, eh, 34%. He's fine. He's, he spaces the floor regardless, yeah. even if he's not making them. And I'm thinking of this. This is his first season back from an ACL injury, so I'm willing to give him kind of like that leeway. But I think offensively, though, like the way that they're coached offensively, I think this – and it shows it with the stats. Like, this has been one of the better teams just to watch offensively and then to see what they're able to do. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely have it cooking offensively. Um, Doncic as a driver is really good. I do worry that you, your, your secondary guys like a Hardaway, Seth, DeLon Wright, Jalen Brunson, and then J.J. Brea for when he does play. I, I know he's just – he's still he's coming back from his own Achilles injury. Yeah. So we'll see how how the, he he comes around, but he's always been an effective player when under Rick Carlisle. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see how those guys if how how they can survive the Donchusless minutes, and that's where my concern comes. Playoff time is I really don't I don't feel confident in that team being able to create against playoff intensity when Donchus isn't the sole driver, and that number one offensive rating is important. Um, when I I think also like their defensive rating is is probably bolstered by teams not, you know, game plan to just attack weaknesses. Because I don't see any individually great defenders other than DeLon Wright and Kristaps Porzingis in help. Like, there's no other defender that I'm just like, wow, that guy can really slow people down. And I think that's going to come be problematic when when you're going up against these other playoff teams. So, they to me, they're in the prove-it category because they don't have that one guy who can really step up. Dorian Finney-Smith, I like him, but he's, he's really light. Um, he's really light. He gets pushed around a lot when he's guarding, you know, a strong, a strong wing. Yeah, and I think kind of just watching them, I'll be interested to see in a seven-game series what happens. Like, who, like, what's a matchup for them that they're? I'm looking at all the Western Conference possible playoff teams, and I'm thinking, will be a matchup for them. Like right now, if it stays at this four or five, them going against the Clippers, I feel like the Clippers are going to win that series. That's yeah, it's a tough matchup. But, like, I'm trying to think, like, who are they – what's a team that they're going to match up favorably with right now in the West? Like well, I think of, you ultimately have to say, like, it, it'd probably be a team like Utah if their offense yeah. doesn't come come full circle. The, the Mavericks will be able to score against that team. 
especially with, with the stretch bigs that they have pulling Gobert away from the rim as often as possible. And obviously a great isolation player like Doncic who can get buckets on anybody. Mm-hmm. So like they kind of have a formula to, to kind of run it up on the jazz, but other top teams in the West, I just don't see any way for them to beat them. But I feel like they're be- significantly better than the jazz right now. And maybe they should be in the same category. That's why I mean, t- it's it, they're they're separated by tiers, but like it's it's all really close there. I you know, but I I do think they they're they're number one in offense. That's mm-hmm. pretty special. When there's a lot of teams out here that really get up and down the court and play effective. Yeah, and and that's something that that I really want to monitor to see are they able to stay and and I think they will be able to stay in that top tier of offense throughout the entire season. But like you said, we're going to see what happens when they get matched up with, what happens during the playoffs. All right. I think we're ready to move on from the prove it section to what's the next What's the next tier you got? First round exit. And while there's going to be four teams that leave in the first round, and we've talked about five already, um, this team, I, I just don't see them winning a playoff series almost regardless of the matchup they get. Yeah. And, and here's why. It's the Utah Jazz. And what you're talking – like this was what separated the tier for me. Elkin, is that the Mavericks were the, are the number one offense in the league. And people without looking at the numbers would say, well, the, the Jazz is the best defense in the league. Mm. Nah, statistically, they're the 10th by defensive rating. Now, it's, I'm not going to say they're not a good defensive team still. Like, maybe that stat is a little hokey right now and putting a lot of new guys into this team. But they haven't been as good. Um, Rudy Gobert is not able to cover for all the mistakes that are now open because you lost Derek Favors as a really good defender. You've you've lost uh, Jay Crowder, who who I don't think is a great defender, but he gets in the way co- consistently. Between him and Royce O'Neal, you always had someone to bug an opponent's best player. Um, your offense is better. Bojan has, I think, been a good addition. I think Joe Ingles will turn around. Uh, Mike Conley, however, while I was super confident he would be successful, he Ooh. has struggled mightily, and it's really sad to me. And mm-hmm. I just don't have any faith in this team winning a series when Donovan Mitchell is still forced to be the end-all, be-all for the offense. He's he's just a little too young. He's still really good, guys. He's incredible. I love Donovan Mitchell. But he is asked to do too much right now, and there's no one to really help him on a consistent basis. Yeah, I will say this, though, and I, I will want to reiterate, the the Bojan signing has worked out really well for them. Bogdanovich has just been, like, looking at his stats, what he's been able to do. It. I mean, it feels like he's picking up the slack for what they expected Mike Conley to do. His shooting has been, for me, just continuing off what he did last year with the Pacers. Last year with the Pacers, our best three-point shooter, this year, on seven attempts, averaging 43%. That's one thing they have to be proud of. Obviously, defensively, he he's an okay defender. He's not the worst defender. But kind of seeing this team, Ethan, I kind of worry. And, and now you're bringing in Jordan Clarkson into the mix. Turning away Dante Exum. Kind of giving up on that experiment after, was it, five seasons with Dante Exum? Something like that. But, uh, Yeah, he, yeah he's, he's been around for a minute, but he's been hurt most, most of it. Of it. So Jordan Clarkson, as we know, it's pretty much like all he's all shooting. Just the guy who thinks he has a green light anytime he's on the court. Yeah. He's all shooting attempts. Yeah, well, <laughs> that, that's where we got it. All shooting attempts. So kind of looking at their stats, you're right. Like defensively, like there are areas of concerns and even looking like they're not seeing some stats that show that really they're not the best defensive team out there. I mean, 
Offensively, I'll tell you this: three-point shooting. They are the best three-point shooting team in the league right now. I'll yeah, give them, and, uh, and, and it makes sense because you look at Ingles, Bogdanovich, like those guys yeah. are elite, elite shooters. Conley, yeah. that's the one thing he's doing well. He's shooting thirty-six percent from three, which is still like that's that's. A, I think that's where you gotta be optimistic if you're a Jazz fan. Is that mm-hmm. Conley has been absolute garbage, and he if he plays to his, if he plays to like what his former worst version of himself was, he would be an upgrade. Um, and that like you're you're waiting on that, but like I I I get nervous about this team because they didn't build on their strength. Their strength over the last several years has been defensively, and they like sacrificed a lot of it to be now still just mediocre at offense. They're a great shoot three point yeah. shooting team, but they're struggling with a lot of other stuff. And if if you're the number one three point shooting team, you that really should should buoy you uh, more than it has mm-hmm. for the Jazz so far. Yeah, and kind of just. Seeing some of their games against some of the better teams, or even I would say some some of the better teams around the league, like they have lost some notable games. I mean, it seems like a lot of their hard matchups they lost. I'm trying to. I was trying to see. Have I seen? They just beat the Clippers. I'll give them that. They just beat the Clippers in LA. But this is a team that I'm thinking of. All right, if it's down to a playoff series, we're at the top four teams. Let's say like let's just say top four ends up being. The two Los Angeles teams, Denver and Houston, can the Jazz get out of the first round against any of those guys? Again, I I say I don't see a t- I don't see a matchup that I deem favorable to them. I don't, and that's that's including the Mavericks, including Houston. Like Houston, I think is their best matchup because if they can just get Harden doubled and then leave Gobert at the rim for for Westbrook to deal with, like maybe that's the way because the 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 Jazz have been good against Westbrook in series past, but that's about that's about it. And I I, I don't like their matchups, El- Elkin. I I don't. They have to. They'd have to climb a lot for me to for, to get to play against the OKCs and Portland and all those other teams for me to feel any type of confident about that. Yeah, that's. I, I'm kind of feeling a similar way as well. Well, I but hey, uh, they're a great three point shooting team. That's something good you for can them. And they have, for me, they have some of the best throwback jerseys as well. I don't know if you're a fan of those. I do like those. I mean, if nothing, it's just a nostalgia. I remember looking at a, um, I don't know what kind of records book it was, but it was, I think, for field goal percentage. And mm-hmm. it was, or, regardless, no, field goals made probably. Carl Malone was maybe the leader there. And I was just like, I liked how that jersey looked on him. There in that in that records book, I I wish I could remember what the actual record it was. But regardless, yes, I like those throwback jerseys. Here's a, here's a one concern though, and why I leave them out to prove it even more is if there's anyone who could re- if there's anything that could regress, it's three point shooting. So if all of a sudden their three point shooting is not number one, that they could take a tragic drop, Elkin. Yeah. And that's something we didn't mention in all in all their praises how good they're shooting. It could get a lot worse. Yeah, once if that switch just flips the other way. I mean, Royce Royce O'Neal's shooting like forty four percent from three, and I don't think anyone had that. Yeah, and he's shooting. Go ahead. Ugh, he's shooting forty five percent from three. I mean, and Jordan Clarkson's about to start taking threes. Yeah, but <laughs> I'll say this: I mean, Royce O'Neal last year he did. I think he's going to regress. I mean, last two years thirty eight percent and then thirty five percent. So you're right; no one expected him to jump almost 10% in three point shooting. Yeah. A lot, a lot is, a lot is in the, up in the air with this team. 
Uh, they're at altitude, so maybe they'll f- find it and bring it back down. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I think we're ready for your next uh-huh. tier that you eloquently called the playoff stinkers. I, man. Yeah. I think – was was this a tier you're thinking playoff fodder? Yes, they're there just to get <laughs> – they're there to get beat. But our, our, our Eastern Conference was there to get swept by the Bucks, and the Bucks aren't in the West. And we also we don't know who's going to be the one seed out here. So we went with playoff stinkers. And um, I want to say I'm really proud of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Like Billy Donovan, I think, is having the opportunity to coach this team now. And I think he's doing well. I honestly yep. do. Um, I love Shea Gilders-Alexander. It is known. He's one of my favorites. Um, so I like watching this team. And I think Chris Paul does a really good job of being the vet while also being the team's best player, other than maybe Shea. Shea might be better on a, in a regular season individual thing. Um, if they could get rid of Dennis Schroeder, who seems to nuke every comeback attempt they make, um, <laughs> oh my God. that's not true. He's he's done a couple, he's done well a couple times, but I really don't like Dennis Schroeder. And I wish he, I, like I, he's the one reason I don't want to watch them play more often, because I really hate watching him play. You really don't like him at all? Oh, not not a single bit, Elkin. Not not one bit. Man, well now we know. There's, I didn't, I didn't know nothing, about this, man. There's nothing else. Okay, like Dennis Schroeder, he, I mean, Patty Mills takes the point guard spot for players I dislike the most, but mm-hmm. Dennis Schroeder, I don't know. He, he, maybe he can be the combo guard off the bench. Like I don't like him at all. No one tops the Sonny Ilyasova though. Ooh, Ilyasova, the he is the offensive, offensive foul master. All right, so don't don't you dare discredit his name. Okay. All right, so let's go back to these guys. What I see that they're they have been a good surprise defensively. They don't let teams take threes. That seems like that's been like their calling card, and they don't allow a lot of free throws, so they don't foul that much. But looking like honestly, Ethan, one of the things that's just been surprised. I keep looking up and down their roster. Six at sixteen and fifteen. If you're the brass of the Oklahoma City Thunder after losing Paul George or train away Paul George and train away Russell Westbrook, would you say this is best case scenario or did they want to tank completely? I think they were down to tank, Mm -hmm. but you brought, I mean, you brought in Chris Paul, like, and I don't think Chris Paul was, I think you knew Chris Paul was not ready to pack it up and pack it up and be terrible. If, If they could trade him away, I know they, I know they would, but, like you, you traded for him, understanding you're not. Like you're, he's not going to just be trashed while he's here. He's going to pl- be an adult in the room. He's going to play play basketball at a high level, because um, he was still good in Houston. People forget that he just wasn't probably a championship player yeah. level anymore. He was so good, and bringing in Danilo Gallinari, I feel like he's having a solid season for himself as well, and his, and his shooting has been great as well. Yeah, he's he's doing what Danilo does. He 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 plays great on offense. He's trash on defense, and he has that goofy look on his face all the time. <laughs> oh my goodness! I just think when you have a guy like Chris Paul and honestly Shea Gillis Alexander, is that all these guys who are kind of bit players like a. Like a Nerlens Noel, like an Abdul Nader, like those. What, what they, the one things that they can do is is enhanced by how well Shea and Chris Paul handle the ball and get them in their best situations. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that's why they're solid. And Steven Adams, while not being a vertical athlete at this stage, is still a good gets to the right spots. And then having Nerlens Noel, that's that's basically 48 minutes of above average center play. I I think I can say that because I I mean I'm a Nerlens Noel supporter. I don't know how you feel about him, but I I personally think that's 48 minutes of solid center play. Yeah. And basically, if if these other guys can just hit a couple open shots, you're in every game. And Chris Paul. Still a pretty solid player in isolation settings, and then Shea as well. So you you got you got just the right mix to be a 500 team, and especially in the West where a lot of these teams don't uh, like you know either the Kings are having injury problems, the Suns you know wh- have waxed and waned a lot, the Blazers are hurt and also just terrible in terms of the, the guys they have to play. Like it's it's really just Damian Lillard and CJ who are. Pr- good and then Anthony Simons is doing his second year you know this game's great this game's bad like uh the Thunder are just consistent and that's what you get out of Shea Goes Alexander and Chris Paul and that's what that's how they're playing yeah and let's go ahead and um let's go on to the to the Blazers your hometown team currently and we and you brought him up like this team I feel like Ethan has just just fallen on hard times and just I know, obviously, the Rodney Hood injury, that sucks. Yeah, that's really bad. That's, I mean, obviously, that's just, like, worst-case scenario to, to uh, at this time. But even looking at looking at everything else, I mean, obviously, you're bringing a Hassan Whiteside, and we know, our listeners know how we feel about him. Yeah, he's just, he's just, he's just past his physical prime and he is still thinking he needs to post up. He needs to have the ball in his hands and he really just needs to set a screen, which he's not good at either and roll to the rim. But uh, what are you going to do? He's, he's Hassan. He's, he made his money. He's going to be, he's going to play the way he thinks he needs to. And then you have Collins is out with injury. Such a bad break there. He broke his leg. He's been out since last year. It's just like. I think right now this is a se- This is one of the seasons where it's just like they're relying on Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and apparently a rejuvenated Carmelo Anthony to just. <laughs> I, I yeah. To, I wanted to see your reaction after I said rejuvenated. Carmelo yeah, Anthony. I mean he's shooting forty percent from three on four attempts per game. That's and it's not a super small sample size at this stage. I mean, it's eighteen games, but like it's. I don't know. He's he's been a good shooter. He 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 doesn't. His isolations aren't terrible, except for when he decides to go iso against Rudy Gobert. Oh boy, that was rough to watch. Oh, it's brutal, oh, brutal. That was, that Dame was... does all Dame does all the work to get back in this game, and then just they Carmelo decides to punt it. Um, oh, but been... more important, more importantly, Rodney Hood getting hurt. He was shooting forty nine percent from three, and we'll, we don't know if that stick around. But he was the team's like fourth best like isolation score and then based on Anthony Simons is like just usage rate he's basically the third best Collins be, not being around to like close the games cuz like think about this like that that's your that's your closing lineup center there who can stretch the floor and guard and do a whole lot whereas like now you're you're giving that to Hassan who can only rim protect or giving it to Scal who just anytime people put a hip into him he's just gonna he's gonna he's not big he's just he's a really slim guy he's he's played honestly in my opinion very well um in his minutes he's playing 17 minutes a game and i i honestly think he he does a really good job of being active um but he he's he's a bit player he's not a backup and it's just it's just tough you know this this team is not designed to have all these guys be hurt and unfortunately, it's just it's been a really tough year for injuries for Portland, and I don't know if it gets any better. But they they might make the playoffs, so you know 
they can go and lose in four games. And then quietly bow out and then hopefully with Nurkic back and, and Collins back and Hood probably opting in if he's not feeling confident about getting paid anymore, you all of a sudden still have a team that's got a good base and use another draft pick, hopefully get a guy who can shoot and defend, and maybe your Blazers are right back in the mix, you know, but yeah, they've had a tough year, undoubtedly, and I, I don't I don't see this year turning around, like they might get to 500, but honestly, I think I think a couple games under 500 will make the playoffs this year in the West. I don't see any team down here in this playoff stinkers category really turning it on to be a above 500 team. Yeah. I think that that's kind of how I'm feeling with them. Now, on the next team though that I'm thinking that I'm looking at here, the Phoenix Suns. Whoa, I can't see the mighty have fallen. It was not too long ago that they beat the LA Clippers, and at one point were five and two. Now it feels like it was a long time ago. And then now look at them now, standing at twelve and twenty. At this, at this point, just looking at this team. Offensively, they're not bad. We know that. I mean, offensively, they got when you have a guy like Devin Booker, you're going to be able to do some things good. They're the best passing team in the league. That's something that they have going for them. Devin Booker is still doing his thing. I don't think I've ever asked you how are you how are you feel on the whole Devin Booker thing. Are you like this guy's a superstar? This guy's a star? Where do you sit with he, him? He, I mean, I just think he's. I don't know. He's he's not as good a shooter as Clay Thompson, which is what everyone wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. But he's he's not as good as James Harden as as what he wants to be. But he's just a really solid player. I honestly think he needs to be a, the second best player on a team. I think if you paired him with literally any other wing scorer that also facilitates a little bit, and just like if if you said okay, we're we're gonna swap Paul George and Devin Booker. Now, obviously, Paul George is a better player than Devin Booker, but how different are the Clippers if that tra- if that little trade happens? They're slightly less. They're not as good defensively, obviously, but Devin Booker all of a sudden is going to have no one guarding him. Like he's he's not going to get the toughest assignment. I think his three point percentage climbs up a lot. Like I think he's he turn into a thirty point per game scorer when he's asked to do it just a little bit less with the ball in his hands and and so, solely focused on getting buckets. Because he, he's going to run off screens, he's going to he, he's he's an off ball player. He's done that most of his life. He's ready to do it again. Um, but him cast as the number one guy, it's just not going to ever work out. Because he's a little he's a little too he's not he's not athletic enough to blow past people. He's not a good enough shooter to just always get to his spot. Like it's just he's just a little little lacking in all the things that require if you're going to be a number one. Yeah, and I am. I do like one positive. I like I like Kelly Oubre and how he's been developing this year. Mm, I do like Oubre because I like him. I mean, I like a guy who's he's a a solid wing player, six seven, and you can tell he's an actual six seven, long arms, and he's not the best shooter. But for me, he's a guy who's like who's always going to get get you good defensive possessions. And at the same time, he's always willing to take it to the rack when he needs to. Ricky Rubio, I think, obviously. It felt like it was one of those, like, all right, we got our guy who can be a distributor. Because I believe for the last few seasons, they've been looking for a point guard. They've been just looking. And he's been a solid distributor. I'll give him that. I mean, he's averaging nine assists. Yeah. his The competency he brings is critical to just not being terrible. Yeah. And then we have Mr. Uh, coming off of suspension, DeAndre Aiden. I don't know what to make of him right now, Ethan. I know he's, he's starting his second season. I mean... 
Yeah, I I still think he's he's got he's got all the physical tools. He's got a he's got good touch. He's gonna be. I mean, I think he just might be a non-temperamental Zach Randolph. So we'll see how that how that goes. And we'll miss, um, we'll miss Zach by the way as he announces his retirement. Yeah, that that happened three years ago. You know what, but... Ethan? Sometimes <laughs> the NBA retires you, and you don't know it yet. Other times you just keep collecting them checks, which is what he was doing. I, I I don't disagree, but I mean, don't you think like, that's kind of what DeAndre Ayton though? He's a, he's a lot more physical, so like he's got so much more potential than being that. But I, I kind of yeah. think he, yeah, I kind of see him settling into a nice little twenty and ten guy for his most of his career, and and then fading into obscurity as this as the Suns franchise does as well. Yeah, but overall, I mean, this Suns team they started off and they had their highs. But I think this is what we expected. We didn't expect that strong of a season. I think looking over at our uh, over-unders pod and our what we expected them, we expected another rough season from the Suns. Yeah. And more or less, they, they rose to the occasion when teams weren't ready to weren't ready to guard Baines at the three-point line. They weren't ready to see um, Saric probing and passing from you know a second action. But as soon as the t- they realized that the- they can't take them lightly, team started waxing them. Like it's just not a it's not a good enough team to to catch everyone by surprise. And also too, I'd never realized how old Cam Johnson was. Twenty three. Cam Johnson, when I was watching UNC play Duke or UNC play someone last year, I was like, oh, who's this? Who's this young guy playing for the you for the Tar Heels? <laughs> Like I gotta look this guy up. I've never seen him. How is he not on draft boards? He's such a good shooter. Like everything he does is fluid. Blah 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 blah. And I look him up and I'm like, oh, that's why, because he's not young at all. He's super old. And of course he's <laughs> doing good if he's older than everyone else. Yeah, and so I mean, he's a great shooter though. Like you can't, you cannot deny that he's having a solid year because he's he's shooting forty percent from three. Yeah. Like he, he he's using the opportunity he's given, but he's not a good defender, and he's not going to get any better in my opinion, other than like just. Maybe getting a little bit better at finding his his space. He could maybe get better at def- defense because you're just going to get smarter. But yeah, he's not a high value pick there at number eleven. No, nah, but I think this team is probably going to find itself dropping more and more in the loss column and probably end up towards the bottom at some point. But the next team, Ethan, this is a team that I did have high hopes for this season. After last season, yeah, everyone did. You kind of, I mean, last season, I think everyone kind of said. Okay, Sacramento Kings weren't that bad, 39 and 43. Bringing a new coach. Let's turn some things around. And here we are. They are at 12 and 20. Believe same record as the Phoenix Suns and just lost to the Phoenix Suns. Started off the season with like five straight losses. What do you have? And then the hardest Go ahead. Hard, I'm sorry, I cut you off. You were going to ask me what I, my opinion was, and I, I jumped the gun a little bit. The hardest thing about this team is is evaluating them because De'Aaron Fox is not healthy, he's not playing, and he just got hurt again. And without De'Aaron Fox being a motor for this team, I don't, I really don't know if the, the their problem with pacing is because he just doesn't play or if it's a Luke Walton problem. Because this team, guess where they rank in pace, Elkin? Where are they at? 30th. Oh, my goodness. They play the slowest pace in the NBA, and oh, again, me. like I, I am wondering if if Darren Fox is his own fast break, and he was the reason that they were. Oh, let me see, fifth in pace last year. 
Like, is he the only reason they like made the climb? Like, I'd have to look at everyone's individual numbers. Like, did he did he just solely bring them all the way up, or is this a play style thing? And ultimately, I I I I know, I know Dave Yeager's a good coach. He he's rough around the edges, obviously, because he always gets himself ran out of town. Mm-hmm. But he's obviously a good coach. He gets the most out of whatever box of tools he's given. Um, the, the, the lone Bryce Brothers team is Bogdan Bogdanovich, who in the vacancy of De'Aaron Fox has taken on a big helping of, um, ball handling duties. And he is, I, I think doing a really good job. Um, this team's not good without De'Aaron Fox no. sh- shepherding them to open shots. And I think that's something where this team has been without him and it, their offense seems broken. Obviously I haven't watched many of the of the Kings games this year, if any, but just kind of seeing and then seeing the collection of players that they have. I mean, you have good for Buddy Hill, but then Buddy Hill still doing his resurgence, doing his thing. But then we, I remember we questioned some of the signings that they had Marvin Bagley. I know he's been injured. I think he just got injured again too. So this roster is just taking big steps back. And at, at this point, I'm just, this might be one of those seasons, Ethan, like, you know, the, where a team just has all the injuries to key players where it's just like, we just got to make it through the season. It's not going to be a good season. Yep. Yeah, I'm 100% in agreement, man. Like, they just do not have – they don't have it right now. And Mm-mm. I think it comes down to the fact that they got guys like Buddy Heald who is having to create his own shot, and he's best suited just running off screens maybe taking a couple dribbles in if the if the, they're right on his back like but like right now and he's he, he's not all, not very many i mean okay actually i have the stats here i've i've, I've got them pulled up hit now hit me with the stats hit me so 50 56% of his shots come from 3 and those are assisted at a 70% rate so that's what his game should always be okay. is exactly that but right now he's the rest of his shots which are not they're not all coming at the rim. The 14% is coming from long two. And his long two, his two-point percentage assisted buckets are only 38%. So what that tells me is when he isn't getting set up on his own, he's dribbling into a mid-range two, which is not assisted. And I think Buddy Heald needs to have, all, like I think, 60% of his shots always assisted because he's not that creative with his dribble. And... To keep going down this hole, which is why I think their pace is slowed, is because Harrison Barnes, he's in the same kind of boat. He's creating a lot of his own shots. Bogdan is creating a lot of his own shots. Really, the only shots that everyone's like not creating for themselves are three-point attempts, which is typical unless you're James Harden. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think this team needs to have the guy who's good at setting people up. I, mean, I I think I think I think that's the answer, and he's unfortunately just not available. Yeah, and then you sign a guy like Corey Joseph, and he's he's just not uh, a yeah. lead guard. Mm-mm. Like I I would rather see them run Yogi Ferrell out there and, yeah. more more minutes, just because I he he definitely has that pass first mentality, and I think he's a better spot shooter anyway. Like I don't know if the stats bear that out. I mean, Corey Joseph shooting twenty eight percent from three, so I think the stats have to bear that out. Oh, Yogi Ferrell shooting twenty six percent. I'm wrong. These guys are terrible at shooting, apparently. <laughs> but and then, and then, I yeah. like Yogi Ferrell. Go, go young, go young. And then one thing I've been wondering because I was looking at the stats, how are the key? What's been going on with Harry Giles? 
Is he injured? Well, he's he's been hurt again. Like yeah. every, all the all the positive steps we made last year with his health have have regressed. But mm-hmm. also, Dwayne Dedman got signed. Rashard Holmes is this team's best big right now. Like he's playing incredibly well. Like, you're not going to take him out just to play Harry Giles. Like he's he's productive. So between Dedman getting paid, Bagley going to play some center minutes, and then Rashard Holmes being the team's best big, not, healthy or not, Harry Giles has been pushed out of the rotation. And without pacing, without the pacing, like Harry Giles, he, his best thing is being pretty, being athletic and being able to move up and down the court at a quick pace. Like yeah. half court offense, that spin move to nowhere that he likes to do. I don't know. I don't know what the point of it is. Mm. I, I, I just wanted to know because I was like, something's up. Barely played any games. His stats are low. I figured something must be going on with him. Yeah, he's he's just not he's been hurt and obviously they they brought two more centers into this team because that's what they needed was more big guys. Anyway, I I, th- I think we're done with the Kings. Uh, Darren Fox, get healthy, please. Like that's what makes your team that team fun yeah. to watch even when they're bad. And I I wanted to see that. All right, and the last tier. Honestly, I don't even want to talk about most of these teams. I like the Grizzlies. I like watching the Grizzlies. Brandon Clark, everyone, go look at his. You know what? I'm gonna do it for you guys. This, this is. You know, I don't care if we talk about another thing with this little, little section. I'm gonna look up Brandon Clark's numbers real quick. Elkin, is there anyone you want to mention from this, from these teams? I think at this point, from these teams, there's not really anything. And by the way, this tier, Ethan called it the land of tank. Which includes the Spurs, the Grizzlies, Wolves, Pelicans, and Warriors. And even if these teams don't feel that way, this is like a helpful nudge. Mm-hmm. All right, you want to hear ahead. some? You want to hear some something amazing? This yeah. is this is this is special. Um, this is Brandon Clark's field goal percentages by distance. From zero to three feet, he is shooting seventy-five percent, which is exactly what you want from a rim rolling big. From floater range. Which three to ten feet? He is shooting fifty nine point five percent, which is really solid um, for a big. Like usually bigs, that's where they will struggle a little bit in their like, because those are usually highly contested and they're making a lot of adjustments in the air because they couldn't get all the way to the rim. So if a big is going to struggle, like obviously the further out they go, that's usually where it is. But this that range is usually highly contested shots. Mm-hmm. Um, from ten to sixteen feet, he is shooting sixty two percent. From 16 to th- three-point land, he is shooting 44%, which is really good. I mean, those are probably all wide open, as same as his three-point shots. Yeah. But he's he's making it at 44%. I mean, CJ McCollum basically is what he shoots, but he's obviously taking contested ones. Um, and from three-point, he is shooting 46%. Wow. There is not a spot on the floor that Brandon Clark is currently inefficient. He is efficient from every spot on the floor, and that is special. I wasn't say yeah that is pretty that's pretty darn so what pick did he go again 21st 20 man because he's old and he's proportional he's 68 and he's got a 68 wingspan oh. but he was the second most athletic person in the draft after Zion Williamson which if you take out the outlier which is Zion Williamson's existence Brandon Clark was the best athlete in the draft in most years Brandon Clark is good and with Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, I think Memphis has a good thing going. Yeah, and it's good. Might be a little bit before they finally reach there, but 
And also, they better teach John Morant how to land, or if not, he's going to have some injuries, more injuries. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a little too springy for his own good. Oh, definitely. But I, I like watching their games, whereas, like, Warriors, obviously, I mean, I know they get a lot of national televised games because everyone thought they're going to have Steph Curry, Clay playing. The Warriors, I'm just like, nah, I don't really care. Spurs, I think it's finally time for things to keep going down. Timberwolves, I think it's been well documented here. The Timberwolves were just kind of just like this team is always never going to fulfill its potential. Bad defensively. They have and Towns is hurt, so they they have no chance oh, of winning yeah. right now. But Andrew Wiggins, do we have a resurgence? Probably not. Never. Will. I don't know. He's he's played a lot better, yeah. but like it, it kind of he's kind of like regressed a little bit as Towns went down. So it's mm-hmm. tough. I mean, they lost to Cleveland. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. That's not what you want. Well, Ethan, I think we we went through all the tiers that we wanted to cover. Yeah, I yeah, I feel if, if anyone was listening for their t- the Timberwolves and Spurs and Pelicans, Warriors, Grizzlies talk. <laughs> sorry, we didn't uh come to come to the plate, but we've been talking for a minute here. If there's any team that's going to move up from the land of tank to the, those playoff stinkers, who do you think it would be? Do you think it would be the Spurs just like uh, continuity wins out and they, they catch up with these other teams? Like They're not far behind. They're right there. Yeah, like I, think, I just I, I don't think they're good, so I put them in the, stink, the real stinkers. Spurs are the only one if like Portland maybe starts faltering a little bit more towards the end, but I don't see it because Portland has the better player, like the best player between Spurs and and Blazers is on Portland Trail Blazers. But you're right, the Spurs, because I can't see Phoenix turning around, Sacramento. I mean, well, I can't see, like, Memphis, Minnesota. Say, so, oddly Portland. enough, Memphis is a team I feel I feel the most like, you know what, they, and it's a new coach. They're playing hard every night. Like, if if they stay healthy, like, these young guys, just, you know, I, I could see them, like, making a little bit of a run. But, I, again, I still think everything's far-fetched. Like, I think we tiered them up correctly. But just with Jonas Valanciunas, competent center play, Jaron Jackson Jr., competent, Brandon Clark, you heard his offensive efficiencies. Like, I I feel the best about them in terms of who I want to watch the most, and maybe that's, like, me then transposing that to, like, they'll be good. They'll be good. And they also beat the Heat, so, you know, I'm I'm mad about it. Oh, man. Well... I think that's a uh, and by the way, I was looking at the standings. This is one of the few times that I remember that both in the East and West, almost the standings are like the top eight teams are almost identical. No, no, you 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 gotta be mistaken, right? The East is terrible, Elkin. <laughs> so they tell us. I mean, they they like it was fair fair different times, but like it's it's one of those things. It's always you know like. It's always a little overblown, but yeah. yeah, the bad the bad teams in the East are very bad. Yeah, but yeah. right now the bad teams in the West are very bad too. But don't you feel as though this is one of the years in which the East are actually like you look at one to six in the East, and I feel as though they've given hard games to teams in one to six in the West. Like well, the I mean the the pa- the Pacers beat the Lakers, right? Yeah. I mean, the the Bucks are the best team in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Like is, uh, the Heat have beat. Tough teams on both sides. They lost the Lakers. They've they beat Houston in a blowout fashion. They beat the Mavericks, Lucas. But they, I mean, they they handled it. Like it's just one of those. It's just one of those things that they both both leagues have good teams. And like you know, we're looking at the seven seed Brooklyn and and OKC. They're competent teams. And then after that, it's a bunch of stink. Yep. Bunch of stink. 
And right now, as it sits, the scariest team to me in both conferences are the five seeds in both conferences. Philadelphia and the Clippers. You're right. I sure, so just, I sure it's not the six seed in both of the conferences. <laughs> uh, or maybe just the East. No, I've already shared my Jazz thoughts, friend. <laughs> it's the East. You're worried about the six seed in the East. I understand. I am. I like the I like the Pacers. I think they're going to be okay if uh when Brock if if, if Brock and Oladipo, Turner and Sabonis can all share the court. I I feel really good about how how that team can be. And even if they can't all share the court, if they're all just healthy at the same time, I feel good about it. All right. All right, man. It's been a good pod. Yes, sir. But it's, I reckon it's uh it's about time to watch the last week of football and see how that goes. All right, sounds good. We'll see you.